Between the Lines with Andrea Gilligan. This is News Talk. Well, you're welcome along to News Talk's Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan, where we'll be taking a closer look at some of the main stories and issues of interest. My thanks to everyone who got in contact about our last programme discussing Ireland's maternity services, looking back at best practice and the current services available. You can still listen back to our podcast on newstalk.com or on iTunes. And as always, you can get in contact with us today by emailing between the lines at newstalk.com or on Twitter at myself at Andrea Gilligan. Well, coming up today, ahead of Bike Week, we'll be discussing Ireland's cycling network will be asking is it sufficient how can we possibly improve the infrastructure and what more needs to be done to get more people out on their bike joining us to discuss our panel today Graeme McQueen who's the head of communications with Dublin Chamber of Commerce Connor Faulkner the director of consumer affairs for AA Ireland Kieran Cuff Green Party MEP for Dublin and also Janet Horner who's the representative for the Dublin cycling campaign my thanks to you all and you're all very welcome to studio today um, look Dublin is one of the sixth most congested cities right across the EU. I think we're nearly in the 14th most congested city actually in the world as well. Can I maybe just start with yourself, Janet, as somebody who's obviously the um, representative, if you like, for the cycling campaign. Give us maybe some of the indications as to kind of how many people are out and about using bikes. The CSO recently talked about the number, the significant rise since their last census and the number of people actually commuting to work now on bicycles. Just paint the scene for us. So I think there is um, the canal count is one of the the canal cordon count is one of the indicators that we have of the number of people that are cycling. So the I think it was last year it was put at twelve thousand people cycling over the canals every day into Dublin city. Um, that's a significant increase. So it's about one hundred and fifty percent increase from about ten years previously, where it was about four thousand people that were crossing the the canals. So I think that is replicated across the, the city and across the country as well to see there's been a huge increase in the volume mm. of people that are actually cycling every day. And that's a kind of a range, I suppose, in demographic as well in terms of like male, female, young kids, students. It's a whole host of people are getting out on their bike more now. Yeah, so I think we see that we still see a very narrow cohort of people that are actually narrow demographic of people who cycle in Dublin and, and across Ireland. So um, predominantly it is young male cyclists on the streets. It's about a 70-30% split in Dublin between males and females that are cycling. Um, it's We see, particularly among teenage girls, we see a very, very low rate. So among teenagers cycling to school, it's about 90% boys that cycle to school. Um, so the predominant modes of transport for them still remain private cars and and mm. some public transport initiatives as well. But we don't see the same take up. OK, just on that stat, it's quite interesting about the lower number of female teenagers cycling to school. Any reason for that? So we're the Dublin Cycling Campaign at the moment are doing a Women on Wheels project. So that's looking at the particular aspects of the gendered nature of public space and particularly cycling. Um, so we know like the statistics basically reveal that there is a gendered phenomenon taking place and how Mm. people are using the streets and how people are using public space. We imagine that carries across not just cycling, but across all forms of transport. But there is a significant lack of data and research that has gone into this. So um, the Women on Wheels project that we're doing now is listening to, we're taking, um, monitoring women's movements across the city. So we've, we're using a, a, a interactive bell that helps them map their map their experiences across the city and then doing kind of qualitative research interviews with them to actually mm. talk about what their experiences as cyclists in Dublin is. Okay. And from that kind of revealing 
what it is that actually impacts on women's decisions, whether they're to cycle, um, sometimes their decisions not to cycle in different environments, uh, and just revealing a little bit more about where to start and understanding the, the gendered nature of mm. public space, which we can see at a objective data level is there. Okay. Can I bring you in, Kieran Cuff, on this Green Party MEP for Dublin? Obviously, you're a strong cycling uh, activist and lobbyist as well. But look, uh, as Janet mentioned there, like the stats show there's more people out cycling. It's certainly, it's a good thing. We'll come to some of the negatives in a, in a few moments, but people are definitely engaging with the idea, even just from a health and lifestyle perspective. Oh, they are. And I think it ticks a lot of boxes. Um, cycling can be reliable. Uh, it can give you exercise uh, and it's good value for money. You you save if you cycle. So it's doing all of those things. But I think picking up on what uh, Janet said, we have to make it more attractive to uh, to women and girls uh, and to people of all ages. And I think the lesson from other cities around Europe is that you need safe cycling infrastructure. A lot of that is providing is about providing segregated cycle lanes. We've seen some of these plastic wands coming in in Dublin, but we need concrete curbs as well to separate the cycle facilities from other traffic. That certainly improves safety and perceptions of safety. And another thing I would love to see, uh, particularly in the inner city, is lower speed limits. We, we've seen the 30 kilometre per hour on some residential streets, but I think even on the main thoroughfares, we should bring the speed limits down from 50 to 40 kilometres per hour. Where, That's, where are you talking about now? Uh, I'd be talking about um, the Keys, places like Dorset Street, places like um, Bolton Street. Um, James's Street, Thomas Street, uh, particularly these main routes where cars thunder in every day. Um, people do find it quite challenging on a bike when you have cars roaring past you. And I think if we can bring the average speeds down a little bit, so if we brought the speed limits from 50 down to 40, that's what cities like Copenhagen or cities in Spain do. Um, and, you know, we won't get everybody complying with that, but at least it will bring the average speeds down a bit and that can certainly improve the safety. Do you think that would get, does it come to that point in a, in a moment? Certainly it's been my experience that you'd hardly ever get a chance to even drive 50 kilometres an hour along the quays, you know, at particular times yeah, of the day. Yeah, you'd be surprised, I, I think really traffic in Dublin, sometimes it goes at a snail's pace, but sometimes it, it speeds up quite rapidly. And modern cars can accelerate very quickly. They can also brake quite quickly. But um, certainly from my experience of cycling with my kids to primary school uh, over eight years in the north inner city, mm. uh, you'd be amazed at the kind of speeds that traffic uh, that cars go at and how close they go to you. And th- often the driver simply doesn't realise how threatening or how challenging their behaviour can okay. be. I'll come to maybe just to Connor and, and to Graham in that point in a moment. But just, uh, Kieran, finally, just on that particular point, do you think would that get more people people out of their car and onto a bike because I know certainly for myself I, I don't cycle but for me it's it's the perception I have over safety concerns is, is one of the issues that I have with I, it. I think it would and I quite often cycle up and down the quays and I would imagine the gender split there is about 70% male uh, because it is quite a challenging environment in which to cycle. You have to be confident uh, and you have a lot of other traffic on the roads. But I think if there was a segregated cycleway, and that's what the Liffey cycle route is all about, uh, I think it will attract a lot more children and a lot more women, a lot more mm. uh, people who just don't feel as overconfident as your middle-aged guy feels. Mm-hmm. Well, if you haven't cycled <laughs> even in 20 years or even 10 years, you know, it can be a daunting experience to get to get back on the bike. Um, Connor Fall- 
talking yeah. I know you're not here to just necessarily represent the view of the motorist because I, I know you cycle yourself as well, well. I, I am one of those overconfident middle aged <laughs> men <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I didn't want to say but yeah. <laughs> look what's your view on Kieran's suggestion there about reducing speed limits well there's a few bits and pieces on it I think there's a couple of important points made one by Janet which is we should reflect that we are actually enjoying something of a success here it doesn't match our ambition but we've come a decent way if you look at the canal cordon count over the last 10 years cycling is up by about 150% little more even in fact uh, and car use is down by about 20% so just some top line data there that's exactly Mm. what the city wants to achieve so a couple of things by way of observation using the private car for commuting is is wickedly wasteful there's not nobody is in favour of it it is pure waste 100% waste the individuals in those cars need to be provided decent alternatives public transport alternatives cycling facilities etc but cycling has been one of our relative wins in terms of public transport Everything we build is full and we're still, we still don't have enough. Yes, yeah. um, but it's not as if we have to persuade people to use public transport. If it's there, they're on it because nobody wants to be stuck in a traffic jam. That's everybody's last choice. And cycling has got some really, really good potential. And one of the things that, I, I, to me, one of the key points that Kieran made is that cycling is reliable. So once you get into the habit of cycling, it's an absolute revelation. You ask anybody who does it, and we have, and they'll tell you that, you know, if I leave the house at 10 past eight, mm. rain, hail or shine, kids on, kids off, traffic bad, traffic good, I'm going to be in the office on time. And it's wonderful. But yeah, it yeah. really does appeal to people. And, you know, people who start cycling very seldom go back. The other thing I think we have to address is the perception of danger, because there's two things here. Mm. Firstly, there is real danger. And we shouldn't be complacent about it. There's places where engineering can fix that. There's places where speed limits can fix that. There's places where segregated cycle lanes can fix that. There is some real danger. But perspective. Total road deaths in Ireland are down by nearly two thirds in the last 20 years. And in terms of your danger on a bike, you know, while there are some, some terrible things that are very, very high profile, statistically, you're vastly safer now than you were when we cycled to school as kids. I mean, vastly safer. But it's perceived as being dangerous. And I think, you know, if you consider secondary school kids, for example, it's been evident for a long time that there's a huge gap in secondary school girls cycling. And you wonder what we could do to fix that. I mean, one of the simple suggestions that we put forward a good while ago is all secondary schools should have a trousers option for girls. Uh, because if you look mm, at the yeah. practicality, practicality I mean, you, yeah, you, yeah. You, got, you got youngsters, get sure my own kids went through it, you got youngsters carrying ridiculous backpacks full of paper books where you know the entire curriculum would fit on one mm. tablet um, and they're carrying these big backpacks the girls god bless them are the uniform skirt is a bloody tent you know there's just no practical way they yeah. can cycle even if they wanted to um, and you know it, it ceases to be normalised mm. so there's something pretty dysfunctional about that that you know we're loading up heavy books okay. and all that sort of gear putting them in a private car and taking them to school but and there's nobody arguing for that it clearly doesn't make sense Can I bring you in Graham McQueen the uh, Head of Communications at Dublin Chamber of Commerce just having listened to both Connor, Kieran, and Janet on you know multiple range of issues there just what's your own view kind of from the business perspective to this? I think from the business perspective I think we're seeing more demand for for cycling, I think uh, taking up uh, uh, Connor's point there, I think the progress that we've seen in recent years has been in spite of good infrastructure. Um, I wouldn't see the number of deaths on the road as the barometer uh, as to how good Dublin is from a cycling point of view. I'd probably look at the number of kids that you see cycling to school as the barometer. Look at my own area. There's far too few do it. I walk into my son's school in the morning. There's maybe two or three bikes on the rack. That's not good enough, you know. Mm. E- even for myself, I live within one and a half kilometres of the school. Would I cycle my sons to school? Not in your life because it's just too dangerous. So that has to change. 
From the business point of view, I think uh, what we're seeing is is probably an education process, especially with retailers. I think uh, there's this attitude that if you if you all of a sudden block the car, that the shoppers are going to just disappear. I think we saw international research which dis- disproves mm. that. If you look at Transport for London research, it shows that cyclists do shop, and we see it in Dublin. So I think there probably needs to be a bit more research done on that aspect to show that people coming into the city are shopping. If you look at a street like Suffolk Street, which is going through a trial pedestrianisation in Dublin at the moment they put in bike racks about two three weeks ago i walk past them every day and they're full to the brim that's at lunchtime so i think that proves that people are shopping so i think for businesses there's a bit of a bit of education needs to be done but i think it reflects the changing city center as a whole mm. and we need to get to grips with better cycling in the city how do we go to, how do we try and roll out that better communication because i suppose better communication or enhanced communication is something i wanted to talk about um anyway between motorists and cyclists but just i suppose more specifically with regards to businesses yeah well i think when you look at like schemes like College Green for example I think uh, College Green f- fell down on the fact that businesses and, and Dublin Bus as well weren't convinced about it we were the same in the chamber when we looked at the plan it probably wasn't as comprehensive as it should be we, we were very worried about what the impact was going to be on the wider city and that was never explained to us and that's ultimately why it fell down at Anbor Planola where were all the people getting off the buses going to go there's no wider pavements or things like that so I think we need to be more comprehensive in our thinking I think the consultation process needs to take all voices on board um, but ultimately we can get there I do think we need to be a bit quicker as well you look at the likes of the Liffey cycle route which Kieran mentioned we've been talking about that one for mm. seven years um, if we were to start it today, you're probably talking another three, four years before that's delivered. That's a relatively small piece of infrastructure in the grand scheme of Dublin. The Fitzwilliam cycle route is another one. It's around a kilometre long, but it's taken us years to deliver these projects, which should be simple mm. wins for the city. So I think we need a, a, a bit more impetus at all levels. Is that a, a, a financial problem, Kieran Um Partially. Uh, I, I think local authorities find themselves in a bind. Uh, very often they have neither the cash to build nor the staffing to uh, put together the plans. Now, the government's climate plan, I hope, will release uh, not just more funding for projects, but more staffing, because that's where local authorities are really stuck in a bind. And from five years of chairing the Transport Committee in the City Council, we have some great people, but they are hugely overstretched. So we have to outsource a lot of our schemes uh, and we simply don't have enough people in the office to prepare these schemes Mm. for going out to contract. So hopefully there will be a bit of a sea change and I see that the National Transport Authority will now have a dedicated cycling office. I mean, sometimes I despair because we've been talking about this for 10, 20 years and more. I think to be fair though probably Kieran as well there's been a huge shift I think in the attitudes Irish attitudes towards cycling in in recent years probably down to the fact that there's now more cars in the road in terms of trying to avoid traffic congestion but I think as a nation we're more open to this idea of a healthier lifestyle. And and Connor has come a long way I think he's positively (laughs) evangelical towards cycling now I suspect if we go back to the last century his views were somewhat different uh, when we when we sparred when we sparred Go on Connor you can defend yourself one but of it's these great days. to see an automobile, a, a, a company that, that makes its money out of automobiles, out of cars, uh, promoting cycling. And, but I think if you look around Europe, that's what the future of cities is all about. It's about having a, a really good mix between walking, cycling, public mm. transport and cars. And there is a place for cars in mm. the city, but not perhaps as invasive as they are today. Uh, and I think the discussion about the public realm, about improving 
the quality of the public realm, particularly as, you know, people start shopping much more on the internet. Cities have to be really attractive places to be in and to get around. And that's where cycling can really help. We're going to come yeah, to the infrastructure in a moment. Did you want to come back in there? Well, much good sense in that. But in fairness to the poor old AA, I mean, Kieran does love his pantomime villain. And I don't think we've ever <laughs> shared a studio where he hasn't lobbed that at us. But I mean, it's not right. based on anything we say or anything we do. Because, I mean, it, 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 for example, our own research indicates that over 10% of AA members identify as regular cyclists. Well, people are both. I don't think you nobody, have to be one box. Nobody, really good point. nobody really is good just point. a motorist. Nobody is just a cyclist. Well, I am. We are, I don't cycle, I have Well, to say, I know so. that. But you're also a citizen of the city, Andrea. <laughs> you, you work in the city centre. You're a pedestrian. A pedestrian. You, enjoy yeah. the, you enjoy the urban environment. We all have a general shared <laughs> desire for the sort of calmed and pleasant mm. city okay. space. And we know what cities look like when they get it right. Um, and, and I think that is clearly where Dublin has to get to. And we, we waste a lot of energy setting up false arguments. I saw a motorist break a light. I bet you Kieran would love to lash Connor with that. This is all a waste of I'm energy. Going to come I mean, to we, the... we, 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 we know the sort of city we yeah. want and we should probably concentrate on the 95% of policy where we disagree okay. let, rather let, than the 2 or 3%. Let me come to we... those points in just a moment. I just wanted to ask you, Janet uh, Horner, just about some of the um, points raised by Graham McQueen there. And I suppose more specifically with that idea of the kind of the education or a better communication um, program or network specifically between businesses and the views of cycling is that something that you'd welcome as a representative of the campaign from what perspective well so just getting... Graham's points on I suppose trying to have better information um, being provided to businesses particularly in the Dublin city centre area about the benefits of perhaps maybe looking at options of taking yeah. cars out of the city and having a greater public infrastructure greater cycling network yeah so I think we'd be very aware that in general more sociable more pedestrian friendly more cycling friendly streets do tend to actually business does do thrive in those kind of environments mm. much more so than when they are in incredibly car centric quite hostile streets um, and we have and I think there's been a a lot of kind of misinformation around how people use the city by bike as well so we there was a campaign a social media campaign started um, a couple of years ago of the shop by bike um, just trying to illustrate the fact that I think it was a Lord Mayor at the time who'd said that if we got rid of the cars from the city people wouldn't be shopping because they don't shop by bike so the idea of how many times um, people who are coming in and out of the city are picking up their whether it's their groceries or whether they're going in and doing their clothes shopping or whichever it is that there's just there's a perception out there that cyclists are not consumers and that you can't be both and this which is just mm. foolish in many ways um there's there is a reality that the infrastructure doesn't for example facilitate easy use of cargo bikes in the city so if you're doing a large shop for example for a family the idea of actually piling up your your significant number of bags of groceries our our city streets and our cycle facilities are not set up for those kind of carrying a volume by bike at the moment but at, at the same time um many of us including myself, would do our regular grocery shopping. We'd go into the town, we'd go um, clothes shopping, everything else, and it would go in the pannier and on the back of the bike and we'd go and we'd move around that way. I would have thought that perhaps more the deterrent to the cargo bike was probably more the cost of it or the lack of perhaps Mm. um, financial assistance or subsidy to it. Is that something that you'd you'd want to see looked at? The the bike to work scheme was brilliant though. I mean, you talk about small candles uh, as as opposed to cursing (laughs) darkness, but there are things that you can do. The bike to work scheme works for certain people yeah. so it works for people who are in um, steady jobs you have to be in a kind of reliable secure job to avail of the bike to work scheme and it is a marginal rate tax break so again it is a much more attractive scheme to higher earners and again coming back to yeah. the idea of how these, these schemes can be inadvertently gendered 
that does tend to be men and women who are, for example, moving around, looking after kids yeah. who are um, maybe working either part time or in kind of low wage employment, precarious employment, disproportionately can't make use of those kind of schemes. What they need are schemes where you have your you have facilities, safe, secure facilities that you can move um, children around in, that you can do your shopping mm. in. And they need to have facilities, um, safe, secure facilities around schools, around um, daycare, around swimming classes that they're bringing the yeah, kids to. Yeah, they get an extracurricular um, thing. It's better parking sort of facilities. Yeah, so it's less about, um, we need when we're looking at the, the city in a much more holistic way, we need to look at it about who uses the city and not just commuters. There's more to a city life than commuters and, and, and those who, who might want to take the bike from, from home to work, but okay. those who might have a much more varied number of destinations and, and ways that they, they move around Yeah, the city. well, th- that's an interesting point, I think, here in Cuff, the fact that, like, people often, you know, when I talk to people who cycle and they commute and they might come in from the Drogheda or Dundalk or some of these sort of suburb, suburban areas, they might catch a train in as far as Dublin. They want to be able to bring their bike with them on the train. Then they want to perhaps maybe use that bike to travel across the city, you know, day in, day out. And look, certainly people get to use the Dublin bikes, which have been hugely successful in terms of you constantly see people out and about on them. In actual fact, they'd say they want more of them. Are there more kind of mechanisms we can look at like that? Oh, oh, I think there are. Uh, And I think the first thing we could do is uh, put the funding into expanding the Dublin bike scheme. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was meant to be, I think, a 12-phase rollout, and we've only got to phase two. Um, So it's extraordinary that that's been stalled. So that does require funding from both the Department of Transport uh, and from the City Council. Um, so I'd love to I'd love to see that happen. But I think this issue of multimodal trips is hugely important because so much of our transport planning over, you know, the last 50 years has been based on this kind of old fashioned view that you uh, leave home in the morning, go to work and go back in mm. the evening. And the vast majority of trips that people take are are um, multi-stop. They're dropping the kids here, they're going somewhere else, they're changing from the train to the bike. And some transport agencies get this. I mean, if you talk to the Dutch train company, they know that 70% of their passengers arrive and leave by bike. Um, But try having that conversation with, uh, with Irish Rail they don't want to know about it. I mean, well, they've, they grudgingly, some they've grudgingly bike, bicycle put in and some cycling facilities down, have, haven't they? They the have, train. but I mean, walk out of Amsterdam train station and compare that to coming out of Houston station. Yeah. I mean, the bike facilities are there, but they're half a kilometre away uh, from, from the main station concourse, along with maybe 15 bike stands just outside the front door. So I think that... So improved that, infrastructure that in those improved areas. Improved infrastructure. Yeah. Okay. But that should happen everywhere, from the hospital to the bank yeah. to the school. Uh, everybody needs okay, to take this just before I go to the break, I just want to, Graham McQueen, just come to you uh, finally on those particular points in terms yeah. of better infrastructure around the businesses, city centre areas and public um, public transport facilities as well. Yeah, I think, uh, picking up on what the guys have said, I think there's a lot of simple wins there for us. If you even look at a street like Clare Street, uh, Clare Street at the moment, there's no cycle lane on if you're coming in one direction. Uh, there, there's a Dublin bike stand about 50 metres away from the junction between Clare Street and Nassau Street. But you can't get up it. You, you technically you can't take a bike up that street. So you either get off it and walk, <clears throat> excuse me, or, or you take it up the pavement as many people do at the moment. That's a simple win for the city, and you could replicate that all across the board. Taking up Kieran's point there on parking at things like train stations. If you look at the Broombridge Lewis stop, which we just built within the last two and a half years, the bike parking there is minimal. 
Um, we finally got a, a Dublin bus route to serve that station. But in terms of joined up thinking with our public transport network as a whole and how it links into cycling and walking, we're just not at the races at the moment. And that, that, that attitude has to change. Okay. I think that was probably one of the good aspects of the Bus Connects proposal that was put out there, was more integration of the different modes, getting off one bus and onto another, getting off one bus and onto the Lewis. That can all be done. That's what's done in mm. other cities. But we need a change of mindset here in Dublin and in Ireland. OK, we're going to have more on this particular issue in just a few moments' time. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more from our panel in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Well, just ahead of Bike Week, we're looking at Ireland's cycling network. We're asking, is it sufficient? How can we make it better? What about improved infrastructure? And how can we get more people on bicycles? Our panel still with us today, Janet Horner, who's a representative for the Dublin Cycling Campaign, Kieran Cuff, Green Party MEP for Dublin, Graham McQueen, who's the Head of Communications for Dublin Chamber of Commerce, and also Conor Faulkner, the Director of Consumer Affairs for AA Ireland. I want to um, spend a little bit of time, I suppose, really just kind of specifically talking about the cycling infrastructure in Ireland at the moment. Despite the fact we've had an increased number of people getting on bicycles in recent years, we've had nearly about a seven million euro drop in terms of the funding for cycling, which is quite quite interesting, I think, mm. as a statistic. Can I start maybe with yourself, um, Conor Faulkner, for the moment? There was always some sort of huge discussion between who has priority on the road, the car versus the, the yeah. cyclist. And I think a huge problem that arises is that I think a lot of people are little bit unfamiliar with the rules of the road. Well, I think it's 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 the the wrong argument had in the wrong way, and it, pitching it as, as adversarial just just helps nobody. And I think one of the frustrations that everybody would feel is that the, the relative amounts of money that it takes to invest in cycling facilities. I mean, I don't want to demean it because you know it'd be a lot of money if it turned up in my bank account, but in the grand scheme of things, this is cheap. This is relatively cheap to do, and and it has potential to perform. You know, in terms of return on investment, well ahead of other major investments that the city and the country might make, and and I, I think layered across all of this in Dublin and in Ireland is a frustrating lack of ambition and an unwillingness to actually do large projects and do them well and carry them through. I mean, throughout the course of the Celtic Tiger, I've said this before, we did a number of things that we absolutely needed to do. We upgraded road infrastructure nationally; it needed to be done. We built the M50; it needed to be done. Port Tunnel two Lewis lines, um, but what a pity we didn't build 12 Lewis lines and five in Cork and four in Galway. We just didn't have enough ambition. And right now, I mean, Bus Connects, for example, has a lot in it that's really, really good. But one of the comments that I've made, you know, echoed something that Eamon Ryan said, we're we're debating these things on a 20-year payback, on a 30-year payback. City's going to be here for another thousand years. We're going to need more than that. We are going to need underground at some stage, and and I think we should crack on and do it. And and I'm not enthused by some of the projects I'm seeing now, which are taking a one generation band aid okay. to the problem. I think we have to show a great deal more ambition. And within that, what we can do uh, for cycling, even in the short term, is I I think potentially be a really good win because you can do it quickly, you can do it cheaply. It's tangible the benefit that it generates. To echo what Graham says, the success we've had with cycling so far has happened uh, despite mm. public and policy rather than because of well, it. Quite fast as well, I think, and in recent fast, years. Yeah. Can I ask you, Janet Horner, just give us um, an indication? Maybe we'll start with Dublin specifically. People also cycle outside of Dublin too. We mm-hmm. should say this isn't just a Dublin issue, but um, just. In Dublin, because um, obviously being the capital city, what do cyclists want? What's the ideal ambition now for the Dublin cycling campaign? I think the safety is the 
really strong predominant thing that people want to see. Um, we were talking earlier about the um, that it, cycling safety is actually much stronger than maybe what the perception of it is. But the perception of safety matters as well as safety in and of itself. Um, so we're not just talking about the statistics around people being killed on the roads, which are still apparently high. I think it's it's safe to say. Mm. Um, and it's not just around even the, the injuries or the life-altering injuries. It's also around the abuse and the, the kind of confrontation that people feel every and day. And you see it every day. It goes on yeah. every day. And we see it, we hear an awful lot of it in the media and we it's something that people talk to us about all the time. So, the I, again, you to get from your, to be able to be assured of being able to get from your destination A to B safely is first and foremost the main thing people want to see. But people aren't willing to take abuse for doing it either. So this is something that was coming through in some of the, the work that we're doing with Women on Wheels is people saying that they will actually divert their route so they're not perceived to be doing the wrong thing. To, uh, mm-hmm. They don't want to risk being um, being given abuse, be, to be mischaracterized as breaking rules. So, for example, women talking about cycling with their kids, they they want their kids to cycle on the footpath um, because it's much safer. But they're sometimes on the road and, and trying to be cycle separate to them, even though that in and of itself is not as safe. But it saves them being um, being given abuse and saves the kids being given abuse for cycling on the pavement and breaking rules. So these kind of things around perception of risk also mattering as mm. well as uh, the ideas of okay. the physical threat itself. So we talk about these sort of safety measures. I mean, what I just, the one thing that would absolutely solely deter me from cycling at Kieran Cuff is the concept that myself and the double-decker bus will be in the one lane mm. and the car perhaps with one one uh, motorist, you know, in the car, they have the lane to themselves. Like That's oh. the sole reason that I wouldn't cycle. Yeah, no, I look, I, I was up on uh, in Summer Hill earlier and I cycled down from there to here, uh, got my way across the Lewis tracks uh, on the junction of Parnell Street and O'Connell Street. I'm pedalling down O'Connell Street and a tour bus uh, was about six feet out from me and then just got closer and closer and closer. So I had to brake. Uh, and, you know, then you nav- navigate through College Green and it's a nightmare. And I would contrast that with a lovely presentation from this Danish guy, Jan Gell. He's an architect and urbanist. And he put up he puts up this slide whenever he does a presentation. And the slide is a map of Copenhagen. And then he says, that line is where myself and my wife cycled across the city to have a meal to celebrate our 50th wedding anniversary. And that's the route we took going back. So what he is showing is how a city can be made really easy to navigate by bike, even for elderly people. And I think that's the level of ambition that we need in Dublin. People often say, oh, the streets are too narrow. Mm. Uh, and that's an issue that comes up in Bus Connects. But we have to have a really mature conversation about how much road space are we going to give to the car, to the pedestrian, to the bus and to the cyclist. And as and it I stands think, right now, to be fair, in many areas in Dublin, the roads just aren't big enough to accommodate all of these people with their own lane. Yeah. I, and I think in some instances, we'll have to look at one way streets. In other instances, we have to give the bus a lot more space. We had that discussion on Bachelor's Walk recently where we said, look, the buses actually need two lanes, not one lane. Uh, because they're carrying 75% Mm. of the people. So the car lane was reduced. These are the conversations we need to have. And I I don't think it needs to be an adversarial one. Mm. I think it needs to be based on a shared vision. uh, And that vision is based on safety. It's based on climate reduction targets. And it's based on livability as well. Janet Horner, I wanted to just come to you just now with some of those points there. 
Um, yeah, I think it just comes back again to a fundamental question of who the streets are for. So if you continue to allocate a significant amount of the space on the streets towards private car users, that is going to privilege a very narrow demographic of people who can both afford to and have access to a private car. If you were saying, which I think we should be saying, that the streets are uh, should be I- inclusive spaces and p- places where um people have a right to use them, whether they're people with disabilities, regardless of the socioeconomic background they may come from, um, whatever age they may be, you have to say that we need a radical reallocation of, of how our public space is used. So we need to say that footpaths are there for people, whether they're in wheelchairs, whether they're pushing buggies, whether they are walking. And you cannot have a system where nobody in the right mind would put their child into a mm. bike lane that is shared with a bus lane. So we just that is fundamentally would is just going to exclude people and going to create a, a hierarchy of who can use the streets and who can't. Okay. And it will exclude vulnerable people. Graham McQueen from Dublin Chamber of Commerce, what's your view? Yeah, I think just just on that, I think we have to recognise as well though that a lot of the people who are using the car at the moment are doing it because they have to, and that's because the public transport offering that they have just isn't good enough. If you look at projects like Dart Underground, like Metro North, we've been talking about these since the 1970s. We keep kicking the can down the road. If you read a lot of the rhetoric around Metrolink at the moment, people people would kill it in a moment if they could. They'd keep kicking it down the road. Going back to Connor's point, I think, and, and Kieran's as well in terms of Copenhagen, what we need now is a long-term plan. We need to think much bigger and longer. The success in Copenhagen in terms of the cycle network was built on a really good public transport network. They put in a plan that was 70, 80 years in the making. They put out that plan in the 1950s and they stuck to it. They refined it along the way, but they delivered upon it. We We've got all these projects in Dublin that we keep going back to. Again, Bus Connects is just another iteration of a previous plan. Metrolink is another version of Metro North. Dart Underground is sitting there. We're not going to talk about that apparently until the 19, uh, the 2030s. Um, so there, there needs to be a step change in how we're thinking about these projects. As Connor says, I agree completely. These are projects that are going to last us for 100, 150 years uh, in advance. If you look at the department figures, they say congestion is costing Dublin about $350 million a year at the moment. That's going to rise within the next 15 years to around $2 billion. Mm. So when you think about the cost of these big projects, take it over a 100-year period, the payback is there. Yeah. Conor Falkland, <coughs> just on that point, it's, a, it's an interesting point as well from Graham McQueen. I know there's mm. probably a lot of people maybe in their car listening to this today <laughs> who are saying, you know, well, look, I'd love to be able to cycle, but it's not an option for me. Or I live, you know, too far away and I can't yeah. commute to work because of the, the distance and yeah, the, absolutely. the time. Absolutely. And it, it's handy for me. I mean, thankfully, I, I don't have any mobility issues or challenges. I live about six or seven kilometres out, so it's perfect for me. There's lots of people for whom it just isn't an option. Um, and that's why I think we haven't got to it yet, but I think things like e-bikes, for example, we absolutely need to describe just correctly. Just explain what, a, what that is. Well, these are electronically or electrically assisted bikes. You see them all over the place. They're, they're, it's, some are actual proper bicycles that have a little motor that supports them. So they're, they're the scooter are, thing. There the are the scooters also. Yeah. So just, you know, without diving deep into that issue, I think we need to correctly define what a roadworthy or cycle track worthy scooter is. And then I think we rapidly need to facilitate them because they have potential to be very, very helpful. But more generally, I, I think I would say that we have two distinct problems and they're quite different. It's a bit like climate change and traffic congestion. You know, they, they you know, they, they may touch on some of the same issues, but they're actually quite different things. And I think if you think about our, our traffic <coughs> demands, there are two distinct problems. One is the old fashioned one, which is still there. It's the tidal flow movement, where you have something like 300,000 commuters on the move in Dublin City in a tidal manner. Mm. In large part, they're moving in in the morning and they're moving out 
in the evening. And we can talk about homeworking and this, that and the other, but you know, you're just really tipping at the edges. Something seismic needs to be done there. Quite separate from that, you have the living, breathing city during the working day and what sort of environment we have and retail and and the niceness of the streets and all of those things. And they're actually quite different things. So when we talk about traffic congestion, principally where you see that is the tidal flow movement. A lot of the roads in Dublin City, for example, that that are geared to allow cars are in that situation because they have to do something with the tidal flow movement. Now, you could be a bit brutalist and you say, you know, internal combustion engines, bad, right? Get out of the city. Mm. Traffic problems solved tomorrow just by the erection of roadblocks. And okay, in theory, you could do that. But we need the city to be not just a transport function. It has to be. It's the main engine of the Irish economy is Dublin City. We need to facilitate economic growth. We need to encourage business in the city. And we don't actually solve a problem if we just force traffic yeah. out. Okay. Can I just ask you, Janet Horner, actually, just to clarify for us, because an interesting point too that Connor made there, when we're talking about cycling, what's your own view on the um, the e-bikes and the scooters and the cargo bikes? Is, do you, are you looking for kind of clarity around who is the, the mechanically propelled vehicle? Or, like, are you looking for clarity on that as well? Um, I think we generally support any kind of micro-mobility initiatives when they're coming about. So e-bikes certainly open up... Um, make cycling much more viable for a wider range of people, much more comfortable. It takes the idea, again, cycling, even amongst the cycling community, you'll find that people talk a lot about how it can be quite a competitive environment in mm. the cycle lane. So you've got um, their men in Lycra, as they're stereotyped as being um, overtaking and aggressively sort of moving in front of other cyclists in the lanes. And part of, I think, embracing a wider range of micro-mobility vehicles, so the likes of cargo bikes and e-scooters and e-bikes, are recognising that transport is not a place for competition. It's not a place for racing one another. It is a place where people have want to safely move around mm. and get to their destinations. Um, so, yeah, I think very, very much we want to see a city that is geared towards a wider range of micromobility vehicles and micromobility vehicles that fit a wider okay. range of demographics than they Graham currently McQueen. do. I think the e-scooter point is, is an interesting one because if you, e-scooters have came into Dublin in a kind of haphazard way. People yeah. have embraced them because they're looking to move around the city easier. The reaction of the Department uh, of Transport has been quite interesting. They've almost came at this from a point of view of how can we block this? These are a problem child that has appeared on, on the Dublin landscape. I think that's completely the wrong approach. I think we need to look at it from a point of view of how can we embrace this new technology? Mm-hmm. And if we can't do that for e-scooters, I'd be a bit worried about the future because people talk about things like electric vehicles and the charging points that are required there. Then they talk about driverless cars and things like this. These are all technologies that are coming at us at a, at a rate of knots. And if we're not prepared, if we're not set up as a country, as a city to embrace them, then I'd worry about about what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, can I ask you, Connor, or Kieran Cuff, I should say, as the, I suppose, the, the political representative here, I know you're not speaking on behalf of government <laughs> policy, um, but certainly, obviously, with, with increased you know numbers throughout the local and, and European elections, um, is there a political will, do you think, to address all of this? Have we Ooh, ambitious that's enough? the $64 uh, question. I, I think we've seen uh, a lot of newfound converts to um, sustainable mobility in the last few years. I'd ask whether the institutions are fit for purpose. And I don't think the Department of Transport is. And I, I think the discussion we've just had mm. about e-mobility shows that the department, I think, is incapable of responding mm. to the climate change imperative to move towards sustainable mobility. I think the NTA is somewhat better equipped and I think local authorities are doing their best with the limited resources available. In the political sphere, 
look, w- when you see a party doing well, such as the Greens in the last election, you, you, I've, I see a lot of the main parties trying to jump into that space. There's some great people in uh, the two, uh, in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael, who understand this stuff. And there's others who are um, newfound converts, and, and I'd ask myself, will that last? But as I look around Europe, I see what I think is a sea change in terms of the need to tackle climate change and the role of um, sustainable sustainable mobility in tackling this. So I think we'll see a change in EU policy. We'll see a change in national policy. Uh, And look, all of this, attitudes can change, institutions can change. Uh, But I think at the moment, some are laggards and some need to move a lot more quickly than they have been up but until now. But even if they're slow to move, a lot of them have moved though along the way and that's certainly a welcome thing. They're getting there. But I, I mean, sometimes you think it's just um, a little bit of positioning. I mean, the, the, the Cabinet took a hybrid bus up to Grange Gorman mm. two days ago to launch their climate plan. How about being on a hybrid bus every day or, or simply mm. taking yeah. the bus as an everyday thing as opposed to looking like a, a, you know, a rabbit stuck in the headlights uh, on the back of the bus. Um, uh, this, this does require a bit of a sea change and yeah. uh, there are some great people uh, who will embrace that mm. but I, I don't think there's, there's quite a distance to go and if we take the climate change challenge seriously of trying to reduce emissions by 3, 4, 5% every year it does require a radical shift yeah. uh, and that means safe space for bikes, wider footpaths, um, improvements in public transport, lower fares. And that's a conversation I don't really see happening. Okay. We're <coughs> going to take a very short break. You're listening to News Talks Between the Lines programme. We'll be back with more from our panel in just a moment. Between the Lines on News Talk. You're welcome back to News Talks Between the Lines programme with myself, Andrea Gilligan. Ahead of Bike Week this week, we're discussing the Irish Cycling Network. We're asking whether or not it's sufficient to meet increased prospective demand. Our panel still with us today, Graham McQueen, the Head of Communications with Dublin Chamber of Commerce, Conor Faulkner, who's the Director of Consumer Affairs for AA Ireland, Kieran Cuff, a Green Party MEP for Dublin, and also a Janet Horner, who's a representative for the Dublin Cycling Campaign. Um, you mentioned, Janet, I suppose, a little bit earlier in the programme today, just the I suppose perhaps some of the complications or perhaps maybe small difficulties with the likes of the uh, bike to work scheme. Are there other kind of incentives that you think could be looked at? Um, what do other EU countries do that's something maybe we could look at here in the event that we were to, you know, win the lotto was, you know, in terms of kind of get, trying to get more people on the bikes? What are the what are the ideal scenarios? I think there's a lot of schemes um my feeling on it is, is there's a lot of schemes that maybe tinker around the edges of um, improving bike take up. So maybe um, there's bike education schemes we, that are great, brilliant. Bike safety schemes, you know, all about that, handing out bike lights. These are kind of mm. small things, yeah. programs that we see that are taking place. But really, there is an awful lot more um, emphasis on those than maybe is actually what we need to see happening. I think really the fundamental thing that needs to happen is safe segregated bike lanes, safe segregated infrastructure that and really anything else is can serve in a way as a distraction from what is actually going to make a significant difference to road safety and also to allowing more and more people to feel like cycling is a viable um, and attractive option to them. And I think even just coming in on that as well, just one thing I, I worth mentioning I think is that over and over again and it has been said 
people come back to us and say they love cycling. Like they absolutely love it. It is liberating. It is efficient. It is good for their health. It is something that they feel is brings an awful lot to their to their life in a yeah. different, in a holistic way. But um, the that is always weighed up against safety concerns. And it is this, when the infrastructure is not there, they cannot do the thing that they would love to be doing much more of. OK, Graham McQueen, just I suppose on those kind of potential incentives that we could maybe roll out to try and attract more cyclists. Yeah, I think we need to look at the, the bigger picture. I think if you if you look at transport investment as a whole, cycling is obviously needing more money. It needs money to address the, the, the lack of good infrastructure that's there. But that's across the board as well. The bus network needs it. The train network needs it. Anybody who tries to get on one of the commuter trains on any given morning in Dublin, there's, there's, there's stuff to the brim. We're waiting a, a, a stupid amount of time to get new carriages back into the system. Yes, we're having to wait a couple of years before that, before that actually happens. And in terms of cycling, I think... Uh, you know, getting it into the schools is a really good way of doing mm. it. You know, if you can get kid, encourage kids to cycle. If my kids say to me, Daddy, I want to go for a cycle, that means I've got to get on my bike as well. I get back to the way I was as a kid, getting used to jumping yeah. on the bike. I don't see that happening at the moment. I think that has to come from government level. Okay. Can I just ask you, um, Kieran Cuff, uh, Janet mentioned a few moments ago the idea of the kind of the, the cycle lanes. I was reading recently actually in The Guardian, there was an interesting piece there where um, Britain's cycling and walking commissioners said that the government there had actually wasted hundreds hundreds of millions of pounds sterling. They were painting white lines, you know, on the busy kind of roads, lab- labelling them specifically cycle lanes. And they said that the cycle lanes where cyclists are actually segregated from the cars and other vehicles um, by using a line in the road was only a gesture and wasn't necessarily as productive as they thought. Yeah, I, I, look, I think the early approach to cycle lanes uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago was based on uh, the bucket of paint and we need to go a lot further than that. Uh, whether we use um, uh, wands, whether we use the, the hedgehog delineators or whether we use concrete, we need to make sure that there aren't uh, motorised vehicles intruding on the space where the bikes are. So, uh Good quality bike lanes, it it uh, demands adequate funding. It's a bit like the sign in the barbers on the keys. Um, you know, uh, good haircuts aren't cheap. Cheap haircuts aren't good. <laughs> the same applies to bike lanes. Yeah, just on that particular point as well, Jana, for yourself, just on those. Yeah, sorry, just to clarify as well, when when we talk about segregation, we mean physical segregation. So it's that thing of having a curb there. The the painted line lanes are almost abhorred among cyclists I think for the most part in Dublin um, it does nothing but create an illusion that you you have a space to cycle on the road but again my my daily commute I take down Gardner Street every day um, the, it's a bit of paint which do, just I share with buses and cars mm-hmm. um, who maybe because the paint is there would it be more inclined to assume that I'm safe and separated from them but I'm in no way am. Okay. Yeah, I, try, I try hard not to be cynical but I, I, I do agree with that and I think <clears throat> you know painting a cycle lane might be an honest effort to make things a little bit better than they previously were but it feels a little bit like cop out and it ena- enables a local authority to say we have 250 kilometres of cycle lane mm. which are those of us who use, it, who use it will tell you that a cycle lane that is a strip of paint on the side of the road is bad enough but also it abandons you just when you need it most it stops you make your own way through the busy junction and then it picks mm. up again. So if, you know, would you let an eight-year-old use it? If the answer is clearly not, then maybe we need a different type of language. We describe roads in different ways. You don't describe Stevens Green the same way you describe as the, the M50. Yeah. You know? So I think there's a, there's a quality hierarchy of cycle ends. Now, all of these things are compromises in a city because, you know, the, the perfect solution isn't available to anybody, um, including 
perfect cycle lanes everywhere. Mm. But there's clearly an awful lot that we can do. And there has been historically a tendency to think of, um, of, of the cycle facilities as kind of an afterthought, you know, n- n- not prov- not given the same uh, respect or attention mm-hmm. and certainly not, not given anything like the same uh, budget. Okay. And I think we're gradually, gradually changing that. Kieran Cuff. Yeah, yeah just, just one last thing. We've spoken a lot about the infrastructure and about the funding. I also think we need to normalise cycling. And I think there's two bodies, the Road Safety Authority and, and on Garda Shikana. And I think a lot more effort is needed uh, from the top in both the Gardaí and the road safety in what uh, way? authority. Well, to kind of say, look, let's cycle. Not kind of, do you have your helmet? Do you have your high vis? Do you have everything, um, you know, armbands on your hands and legs and uh, all of that kind of stuff? Let's just normalise it. That's what they do in Denmark. It's what they do in the Netherlands. Uh, and I think the more that those two bodies can do to highlight ordinary, everyday cycling being part uh, of everyone's lives. I think that would really help. Well, just when you mm. mentioned the guards and just ask you maybe all briefly on the enforcement, we obviously had the new, um, well, relatively new kind of cycling regulations. I mean, how do you think they're being enforced? I, I think they are. I mean, we've seen a lot of fines for uh, cyclists who break red lights. Uh, we've seen a fair amount of fines for motorists breaking red lights. But that can become very adversarial mm. very quickly. And I think what we need more than ever is respect for all road users, respect for speed limits, respect for red lights, respect for minimum distance of separating uh, vehicles from cyclists. Uh, because it's very easy to be divisive about all of this. Uh, but again, I think the Road Safety Authority and the guards could do a lot more to encourage us all to share the road with respect and provide safety uh, and comfort for all. Just on that particular point, Graham McQueen? Yeah, I think we need to stop thinking about cycling and e-scooters, e-bikes, all of that. We have to stop thinking about them as a problem child. They're not a problem, they're a potential solution for a lot of people. So it's about how we embrace these these things. If, if Dublin is behind the curve, Irish cities are behind the curve. So if there's one advantage in that, we can look at cities like Copenhagen, which we've mentioned a few times here today, cities like Amsterdam, the Spanish cities, for example. We can look at these these uh, cities and, and learn from them, see okay. what we can bring into Dublin. There's quick wins there and there's long-term mm-hmm. stuff as well. Just finally, uh, Janet Horner someone has to have the last word today um, just in terms of your own view on the enforcement of those quite recent cycling regulations um, so if cyclists aren't obeying the rules which I think is, is a widespread perception of it I think there, there one two questions can be asked one is how do you get cyclists to obey the rules the other one is what is not working about the rules that means cyclists are disobeying them? Because cyclists are not a unique group that are uniquely mm. inclined to disobedience. A lot of the time they are calculating, as we all do, what the best solution to this problem is. And if the rules are going to make them take unnecessary risks by making them um, share lanes, making them um, cross very difficult junctions, then potentially we need to look at the the how the rules can be shifted so they actually reflect what the real safety concerns of the people who use the streets are. You're going to be hearing a lot more about all of these issues, of course, because National Cycling and Bike Week takes place from uh, next week. I'm sure there'll be lots more to come here on News Talk as well. My thanks to all of the panel today. Graham McQueen, the Head of Communications at Dublin Chamber of Commerce, Conor Faulkner, Director of Consumer Affairs for AA Ireland, Kieran Cuff, Green Party MEP for Dublin and also Representative for Dublin Cycling Campaign, Janet Horner. If you've missed any of the programme, you can Download the podcast on our website at newstalk.com or search for News Talks between the lines in iTunes or any other podcast player. My thanks to the production team, Elaine Power and Stephen Jordan. I'll be back again with Between the Lines this time next week and with a breakfast briefing on Monday from six. But for me, Andrea Gilligan, have a good day.